Exodus chapter 15. Read the first 19 verses, and then we'll give you a great deal of context. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My father's house, my father's God, excuse me, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are, are also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank unto the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered, up, gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth thy people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling shall take hold, trembling shall take hold of them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm... They shall be still as the stone, as a stone, till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in, and plant them in the mountain of thy inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The horse of Pharaoh went for the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. And the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. All right. That's where we're going. Where are we going to start? We're going to briefly try to recap chapter 7 through 14. Because I want you, as we're getting to this song at the end of this message, or maybe at the afternoon or whenever we get to it, um, imagine that you are one of these Israelites standing on the other side of the Red Sea as you're washing, watching bodies of the Egyptian army wash up at your feet. Okay, It's hard for us to get into that spot. It's hard for us to see the magnitude of what the Lord's done, um, particularly when we just read that, you know, out of context. I mean, we 
we know what's happened, all right? We're, we've all been in the Bible long enough to kind of know the general story of Exodus. Um, and so we're going to try and dig a little bit, not too much for the sake of time, but to pull it into this is, this is real. This happened. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a once upon a time. This is actual events that had very catastrophic consequences as the Lord was making his point upon the nation of Egypt. So, going back to chapter 7, you know, where we left off last week, Moses had been given instructions, and he had uh, complained a little bit to it about Pharaoh, right? Uh, to God about going to speak to Pharaoh again, because the people, uh, after their workload got worse, they got mad at him. They were not happy. And so he's like, Lord, how can I go talk to Pharaoh if even my own people won't listen to me, right? Well, he does, he obeys, and that's when he goes and he casts down the rod. And then the magicians of Egypt, they do the same thing. Now, Moses' rod, which turned into a snake, it ate their snakes, all right? So God wins, but Pharaoh wasn't convinced. And so then he goes out and he smites the same rod and hits the water, right? The water of the River Nile, right? If you go look at the satellite imagery of Egypt, there's the Nile and there's greenery around it and then everyone else is desert, right? Water is vitally important there. And y'all ever had your well go out, right? Not having water is, is a big deal. Well, and that smite, smote the river, and it turned into what? Blood, right? Can fish swim in blood? No. Can you drink blood? No. Right? And it stank, right? So you had this first thing that affected the whole nation, right? This is not just, you know, your one pond is messed up. Let's go use the other pond. It's all the river, hundreds of miles of it. And it said all the ponds and all the water in pictures of stone and also, I think, pictures of wood. I mean, there's, there's, it's just this, they had to go and dig beside the river trying to find some fresh groundwater. So, I mean, all of this stinky, nasty stuff that you can't drink, this impacted the nation for, for a week. This went on. Um, so you're thirsty. Your animals are thirsty. That which used to be easy, you had this massive water supply, is now not there. Your crops are everything affected. This is, this is a really big deal. This impacted the Israelites too. There was no separation between Goshen and the other land. This was, this was everybody, all right? That's round one, all right? And then things get worse, right? Then you have the frogs, all right? So um, the frogs, they come up so many out of every you know, water source. They're now in your house. They're in your bed. They're in your food. They're in your ovens. I'm making chicken pot pie. I pull it out. It's a frog pot pie. Right? That's nasty. That's gross. I mean, you think about the, the, the icky factor, but how about the, the noise factor of, like, you can't sleep. Right? You ever had a bunch of frogs outside your window? It's kind of annoying. Well, how about having them in the bed with you? Right? So now not only have you had a real bad week with not being able to get water easily, right? You're thirsty and everything's kind of struggling. Now you can't sleep. All the food that you had stored up, it's got frogs in it. It's kind of spoiled. You're, you're, you're having a bad day. And it doesn't just stop, right? It goes on for a period of time until Pharaoh relents. And Moses says, all right, we'll, we'll kill off all the frogs. And God does. And then what happens? Got a bunch of dead frogs. Before you get to the next one, you've got heaps of dead, stinking frogs. Stinking water. Now you've got stinking uh, frogs. And what do they bring? More gross things that are eating them, right? And they're, they're having to heap them up in mounds. And again, this is not just one little location, right? We kind of think about it. Well, we live in Tifton, so this is like it affected all of Tiff County. No, this is like a region the size of Georgia. <laughs> Everywhere. No water. Now you're stinking with frogs, and they say, mount them up in heaps. Ugh. Right? 
So, and then it gets worse. Then you get the lice, right? And it's also biting gnats. If you look at the strongs, it's, the, it's called that because they're, they're stinging, right? This is not just, oh, that's unpleasant, but this is, this is discomfort. You thought you couldn't sleep with the frogs. Now you're itching and you're scratching and everything's biting you all night long, right? And, it's, and it was smiting the dust. So as much dust as you have, that turned into these biting lice, gnats, sand flies, whatever, you, whatever they actually were. This is miserable. And this is, again, not just contained to one city, or one region, but this was all the nation of Egypt, however big that was at that time. All right? And then after that, you get what's described as the diverse multitude of flies. You had kind of the lice, and then you had, and, and we think of flies, all right, house flies. That's probably not the best picture. Try horse flies. Have you been around those? Giant, they bite, they sting. It says that the land was corrupted by them. All right, and I'm going real fast. Y'all go read 7 through 14 to get the play-by-play. The land was corrupted from them. And, and this is the first time that there's a division between God's people and his enemies. Those that love God and those that hate God. That's, that's kind of the line of demarcation. So those in Goshen, there weren't any flies. And that's pretty amazing, right? Because Goshen's part of Egypt. Right? It wasn't like there was a wall or anything, but God said, nope, there's not going to be any flies in Goshen. And I bet there weren't not one, right? And so he made a point. All right? And then there is going to be a disease upon your cattle. And it was very specific cattle. It was your, your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your oxen, and your sheep. And I understand that Egyptians don't eat sheep in my research. that They had them for the wool. So these are kind of all of your production things. You've got transportation. You've got your hauling. You've got your plowing. So you've got your tractors, your semis, um, and your textile industry. Anything that's out in the field, they all die. Not like... We're sick, and now we've got to treat them dead, right? All of them. And then he said, I'm also going to have a division here. There's not a one of them going to die in Goshen. And Pharaoh went and checked, and there wasn't a single one of those animals of the Israelites that died, all right? So you've got a major impact, long-term impact on their industry, on their ability to work crops in the future, on the ability to have textiles in the future. You know, the wool, you use that to make uh, clothing, all right? And so... And again, this is not just one little area. This is the whole nation. And we can't really wrap our heads around that, right? How could, how could even the word of that get around? This has affected everybody, but it did. All right? And so there wasn't one of the Israelite cattle that was lost, but all of those categories, the ones that were in the field and of those five types, they died. All right? And then you have what's described as boils. Um, these are pulsating ulcers that are filled with pus. And this affected all the Egyptians, right? Um, it doesn't specifically say there was a division among the people here, so it may have hit the Israelites too, but we know that the Egyptians were affected by it. We know that the magicians who had previously been trying to keep up, they couldn't even stand in Moses' presence now. They're, they're so miserable. This is the first direct plague against the people themselves. Right? It was bad enough having the kind of itching Right and the biting or whatever, but now it's it's you're you're sick, all right? You're miserable and you probably stink, right? There's a lot of odors that go along with this these plagues, right? The the dead carcasses. Oh yeah, you think it's bad dealing with dead frogs? How about dealing with all the dead horses and cattle and sheep and oxen and donkeys and not having a backhoe? You got to deal with them all, right? Or they're just gonna breed more diseases and flies and right? It's it's a problem. The land is in rough shape. And it ain't even really gotten going yet. All right? There's a ratcheting up with each one. 
And so after that, oh, well, what's the impact of that? Boils. Well, if everybody in your nation is now sick, what is that affected? Your labor, right? What part of your economy? You've got to have a labor force. Well, everybody is now hurting and unable to really function. And so your, your ability to overcome all these other obstacles is, again, hindered. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And then what happens? You get a warning about hail. And this ain't any ordinary hail. This is hail that if anything that you leave outside, animal, cattle, beast, anything that's left outside in the field, here's what's going to happen, is going to die. Doesn't matter what kind. If it's out there, it's going to die. And it said there were some who feared God. And they brought their stuff inside. Now, I imagine they didn't have barns big enough for all their animals. So whatever you could pack into your barn, whatever you could pack into your house, you feared the Lord by this point, they did it. And those that didn't, all their servants that are out in the field with their animals, all those animals died. All those people died. And said the hail was so bad, it was, it was uh, huge, um, weighing like 70 pounds of ice. I mean, this is massive, up to a talent in weight. And, uh, you know, killed you, crushed you. And not only that, all the trees were broken. So all the trees were broken. So you got your fruit trees, how you're going to get fruit going forward. All those branches have been hit and battered by hail. And all of your crops that have already come up, they're crushed. Right? All over the whole nation. Right? We've, we've had hail storms before, but they tend to be kind of, oh, you got it, but not our town. Right? This is the whole nation except Goshen. Right? There's the division. And the Israelites are watching this. I mean, you can be standing... Like, we like to watch storms on our front porch, right? Can you imagine watching that storm on the front porch in Goshen? Whoa. I mean, you got hailstones. I don't know how big a hailstone have to be to be 70 pounds, but that's pretty honking big. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's boulders. I mean, that's the equivalent weight of like nine gallons of water. I mean, just imagine one gallon chunk. I mean, right? battering your oppressors, right? Okay. And so, what's been hit here? Well, your labor, those guys who are out watching the shepherd, the shepherds or whoever, the servants out in the field, they're all dead. So your labor's affected, your food sources, um, your animals that hadn't been hit before, and this is most likely the ones you eat, um, and then all your, your, your plant-based food for the next season's crop. Things are getting bad, right? But as with um, you know, big hailstones, there are chunks of the ground that didn't get hit. There's a leftover. There's a residual, right? If you, you've had all of your crops get hit with hail, there's something still in between the hailstones, right? They're still alive, right? Don't worry. The Lord's going to send locusts. It's going to eat up everything else. Anything that was missed of all the trees, of all the herbs, and every crop and every field that's grown, that's when the locusts come and they eat it all. And that's when Pharaoh says, well, take this one away. Take this death away from me. I mean, this is, there is no importing food to feed this nation, if they don't have some relief, they're all going to die of starvation. All right, this is this is a big deal. All right, and so all of your future food and your current food—it's all just wiped out. All right, um, y'all, y'all ever seen The Lion King? Okay, when Timon and Pumbaa come back and they're looking at the the, the land and it's just blackened. The trees are burnt. There's no grass. And he goes, talk about your fixer-upper, right? That's a pretty good indication with what the whole land of Egypt would have looked like. Nothing left of value, right? It's, it's been battered. It's been beaten. It's been eaten. It's, right? There's nothing green growing. It's all been eaten by locusts. And then the Lord descends darkness. So darkness that it could be felt. So dark that you could not rise and leave your house. No one rose up for three days. 
right? Now, ever tried to move around your house on a really dark night and you're just kicking everything? Right? Like that, only worse. Okay? But in Goshen, there was light in their dwellings. Right? So I don't know how the Lord you know, managed it to where they, you know, even a candle didn't get off light in there, but it was dark. Dark, dark. Um, and then uh, finally, you have this. Uh, said, all right, here's the final one. And then you're going to let my people go. And that is the, the destroying angel is going to come through and he's going to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. Every family, whether you're in the dungeon, your son too, or whether you're Pharaoh, the lady behind who works at the mill, you know, everyone in between, right? And, uh, and then you have the institution of the Passover and so the, the lamb that was slain and the blood that was smitten upon the doorpost and the Lord saw, and there's a lot of imagery in there pointing to Jesus and we won't get into that for the sake of this morning, but they're passed over and none of those people were impacted because of the blood of that lamb and all the Egyptians were, right? There wasn't a single household that didn't lose somebody, right? So if you've lost your, your wealth and your cattle and your crops, uh, you've lost your labor and your servants, you've now uh, been suffered with uh, massive diseases and insect bites and stink and smell, and now there's death in your home. Even if you'd missed out on all the others, there's death in your home. Okay? And the folks in Goshen are hearing this cry. They're not allowed to come out of their house until morning. Right? They said, stay in here. You eat the Passover. You don't go out until morning. But there's a cry that went up over all of Egypt. As mothers and fathers and siblings awoke to find who in their house was dead. Right? This is, this is real. This is, and it was the eldest. Right? And in this, that culture, most of the cultures back then, the elder son was a source of pride. He was described as being the strength of the family. He's the one who's going to, to carry on, you know, in the Israelite custom. It was the double portion of the inheritance. There was something special about this kid. He was the eldest. And so the Lord is taking out the pride. Right? He's humbling the whole nation in every way possible. All right? So finally, Pharaoh says, Go. He sends servants to Moses and tell, tell them all to go. And so the word, you know, quickly spreads. They were to eat that night in the Passover. They had to have their shoes on their feet. They had to have everything bound up on their shoulder because they knew they were about to start a hiking trip, right? The Lord told them, you're going to go. So in the morning, they were sent and they went out um, and they start going on the road. And there's a real direct route between Egypt and Israel or Canaan. Right? We'll later be in Canaan. And it's called the route um, through the Philistines land, all right? God said, I'm not going to send them that way, all right? Because if I go that way, first folks they're going to come to, they're going to have warfare, and they're going to fight, and then they may think, I should really go back to Egypt. Now, what would they go back to at this point? I don't know. I mean, your population is decimated. There's no economy as far as farming or cattle or production. I mean, it's, it's a real bad shape. He's kind of making it so that there's really nothing to go back to. But either way, he's, I'm not going to lead them the short way. I'm going to take them a long way through the wilderness. And he winds up going south um, from wherever Goshen is. I haven't been able to use just the scripture to pinpoint exactly where Goshen is. But he takes him down to the Red Sea. And he tells him to camp at a particular spot. And the name of that spot is, uh, I think it's Pi-Hiroth. And if I look at the Strongs, that says that means the mouth of the gorges. All right. So if you're camping in an area called the mouth of the gorges and you've got the Red Sea behind you, in my mind, that sounds like you're sitting in a trap. If you've got gorges on either side and you've got uh, the sea behind you, there's no escape. Now, from God's perspective, it is a trap, but not for the Egyptians. 
It's funneling the, not for the Israelites, it's for the Egyptians. He's funneling the Egyptians into a spot where they can encircle around them, right? There's only one way they can go, and that's straight, straight to them, and they're going to lead them into the sea. Well, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh and everybody's going to say, why did we let him go? Right? Basically, we've got a lot of work to do to rebuild. That slave population would be very handy, and I'm reading into this. We need to go get them. And so they get their whole military, about the only thing that hasn't really been decimated at this point. They've got all their chariots, which is what Egypt's known for. They've got strong chariots. You've got um, 600 of them are just the chosen chariots. That's described as, that's, that's like your special forces, right? We're going to 600 of your special forces and everybody else and all our horsemen and our footmen, and we're going to go after it, and we're going to get them, and we're going to bring them back. And so they go down there, and the Lord makes the Israelites camp at that spot, at that trap, until they get there, and then he puts a cloud that had been leading them. He goes behind, and that cloud separates them. And so the Egyptians can't attack until the Lord's ready. All right? And that's when the Israelites, they've watched all that God's done for however long this has gone on. This, is, this was more than a few days. This is probably weeks or months as this is, you know, sequences and bam, 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 because there's periods of times in between. Um, and then they get fearful. Right? The God that had done all that is now they're looking at this host of Egyptians and you're there, you're not even really an army at this point because you've got your wives and your kids and all your cattle. You're not ready to fight this host. Yeah, you got 600,000 men, but you're not in formation. And even then, just footmen against mounted cavalry, heavy cavalry at that with chariots, they would just run you over. The odds of them surviving this with a man's fight were pretty slim. Okay, So the Lord takes... Um, that angel that had been in the cloud, the pillar, and he made it a, a dual pillar. On the Israelite side, it was the fire. And on the Egyptian side, it was a cloud. So cloudy that they couldn't see forward to advance. And the Israelites had light bright enough to shine their way as they were going across the Red Sea. And the Lord sent a, a wind, an east wind, that, uh, that blew the waters to part. It said the waters stood up on heaps. And then they walked through this massive wind tunnel. I mean, just, just imagine that for me. This is not just a story. Imagine you're one of those, you're a kid in Israel. Yeah, saying, come on, we got to go in there. What? <laughs> Behind you, you got the Egyptians. I mean, you're going to obey Dad, but you might have a little trepidation, right? Yeah, you'd be covering your ears. You probably would be covering. I imagine that wind was pretty loud because it would continue to blow as it's keeping that those walls of water up, right? And they're going through. And then that cloud is coming with them, and the Egyptians are getting closer until they're drawn in. And they're not allowed to um, attack them. They're still um, separated, but that angel in that cloud starts to harass the Egyptians, making their way harder. They get stuck. Their wheels fall off. So much so that as they're going through, the Egyptians say, we need to turn around because the Lord is fighting for them. Remember what God promised last time that the Egyptians would know? who the Lord is, right? The Lord, the Jehovah, that they would know. Who are they identifying as fighting for them? Jehovah. Their God, the God, the eternal God, is fighting for them. We need to get out of here. And they tried, but by that point, um, the Israelites had made it all the way to the other side. God had told Moses to raise his rod again, and the waters come rushing down. Have you ever seen waters rush? Like if you ever built a little dam in a little creek and you have that little bit where it breaks and it just comes rushing through and wipes out the rest of the dam, that's pretty impressive. And that's like a little bit of water. This is like, imagine the Hoover Dam suddenly breaking and wiping out everything beneath it, except for you've got two on both sides. Yeah. 
This is a big deal. This is, the force of this water is incomprehensible to us yeah, this morning. Yeah, and the whole military is in between. Oh, I know, that's a bad spot to be in. Okay. All right. So that's your backstory to where it picks up here in 15. Verse 31 of 14 says, And Israel saw the great work. They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. So they feared and they believed. And then they sang this song. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. So you've got this massive company. 600,000 fighting men plus their wives and their children all singing this song. How they knew the words together, I don't know. Um, but they did. And they were singing it. They were singing Who are they singing to? They sang unto the Lord. This was not a, hey, backpats for all of us. Look what he did. You know, the prince of Egypt, they sing about, you know, what, look what we can do if you just believe. This wasn't about them. They didn't have a hand in it. All they did was obey. When he said to go forward, they did. He did, you know, the work. So they sang the song unto the Lord. He was the object of the praise, right? And spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. Right? That's who I'm singing to. I'm singing to the Lord. Why? For he hath triumphed gloriously. Alright. Triumph gloriously. It's the same Hebrew word repeated twice. Alright? And it means to mount up. To be majestic. It's so majestic, you got to say it twice. So he's triumphing up on high. He's whooping them as the greatest of all. He did it majestically above everything you can think of. That's what he just did. And we just watched. All right? He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And that word thrown means to hurl. <laughs> Hurled it into the sea. Okay, this is very, very different than if they'd had to fight their way out of Egypt, right? If they'd had to fight the way, people would have died. Their own people and Egyptians would have escaped. All right? If you're on foot and you're attack having cavalry run down at you, you can attack the guy on the horse, you can attack the chariot, or you can attack... The horse itself, right? One of those three is likely to survive, right? But when God fights, he took the whole thing and chunked it into the sea, right? None of them survived. Zero survivors for the Egyptians, zero losses for his people. Right? We talked about how is this point to the last day, the last judgment. They will be zero who escape God's wrath. Of those who hate him, his enemies, no escape. And those whom he put his love upon and whom love him in return, we love him because he first loved us, there will be no loss. God is a perfect, perfect record. Okay? He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he hurled into the sea or thrown into the sea. The Lord... All right, let me just... One historical context. We talk sometimes about battles that have gone really badly. You know, Custer, right? Little bighorn... They lost like 200 men that wiped out their division. We still talk about, man, that was really bad. Egypt lost their whole military in one go. Right? Um, the Battle of the Somme in uh, World War I, there was 57,000 men who died in one day. Of, you had like 90% fatality rates in certain divisions. That's terrible by modern warfare standards, but still, compared to when God takes it out, complete. Destruction, not not just a not just a group, a cavalry unit, not just a division, but the entire nation's military that was following, including Pharaoh himself. He was, he was there with his best of his best. They're all completely wiped out. 
in less than a day, in a, in a moment. All right. The Lord is my strength. I really like this. If you look at this word strength, it could be translated as security, or it could be translated as force. I'm going to put those two together and say, the Lord is my security force. All right? That's, that's a modern term. We understand that. You, you have security forces. Oh, the security forces are going in. We've got the best security force. All right? The Lord is my security force. How, how are we protected? How are we guarded? How are we kept? By the Lord, not by our own might. All right? So the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He is the object of my praise. And He's worthy of my praise. Right? He is become my salvation. Salvation is one who delivers. A deliverer. One who gives the victory. The salvation and delivery comes from God. Right? He is my God. Y'all remember what God promised that He would do for those Israelites? Go back and... Uh, Exodus 6. Exodus 6, verse 7. I don't have my normal Bible, so I'm going to be flipping slower today. You're welcome. Um, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will be to you a God, and I will, you shall know that I am your God. Right? It's the fulfillment of that promise. They're singing, You're our God! You told us that you were going to take us to a people and that you'd be a God to us and that we know that you're the Lord and that you're our God. Here it is. Here's the fulfillment. That you are our God. Alright? He is my God. And I will prepare him a habitation. Okay, this is a strange expression. Um, prepare a habitation. If you look at the Hebrew, it means literally to rest at home. And there's an implication there of, of beauty. Right? So the idea is that things are so good at home, I don't have to go elsewhere and look anything for anything different. All right? So to have the habitation at home with the Lord is that the Lord is there. I'm content with Him. I'm not seeking some other outside beauty. It's like you're, you're content with the wife of your youth. She's wonderful. I'm content at home with her. I don't need someone else. Right? I'm content with the Lord. All right? That's the idea. Is that I'll prepare the habitation. Is that I am going to stay there with Him. I don't have to look anywhere else. All right, to rest at home with the Lord. All right, to so prepare a habitation. My Father's God. Right, they knew, they had known of the God of Jacob and of Isaac and of Abraham, but until this point, they hadn't met Him. Right, they'd been there for hundreds of years, and things had been really bad, and they hadn't had a direct experience or encounter with them. They'd known about their Father's God, and now they're saying, this is the same one. It's Jehovah. This is my God, and it's my Father's God. It's not something different. We're not introducing new gods, but we're understanding what our fathers knew. My Father's gods, and I will exalt Him. I will raise Him up on high. This means to exalt, to raise Him up on high. How do you do that? In your heart, in your head, having a high enough opinion of Him, with your voice and praising Him, and in your actions, you exalt Him by obeying Him. That His words and His statutes and His commands, that they are worthy of being obeyed. Right? The opposite of that is saying, well, I don't have to listen to you. It's not worth listening to you. And so when we disobey Him, we're not exalting Him. We're exalting ourselves. Okay? I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. A person of war. That warfare there means to consume Literally, or to consume, but the implication is in battle. You know, we get that expression that our God is a consuming fire. Right? 
He didn't use fire in this type. He used flood to wipe uh, the fl- a flood to wipe them out. And he, hey, that's kind of a mirror image of the earlier version too, right? Of the flood, he's going to take it all and wipe out all his enemies with water. And he promised he's not going to do that again for the whole world. But at the end, he's going to use fire, right? It's going to be the consuming of the fire. All the element, elements will melt in fervent heat. All right. So he is a god of war. Um, the Lord is his name. He said, you're going to know my name. And they know it. The Lord is his name. All right. That is his, his mark, the eternal Jehovah, right? Okay. Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host. All right. Pharaoh, his chariots. I mean, for our modern tanks, that's like tanks. All right. The strongest you got, those chariots, those tanks, and the rest of his army, the Lord, he hath. Uh, cast them into the sea. And that word cast has the same idea of uh, throwing it or shooting it like an arrow. Just, you lose, all right? His chariots and his hoth has he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. All right, your chosen captains, those special forces, you're best of the best of the best. Sir, you're dead. You lose against God. He has thrown them into the sea. They're drowned in the sea. That word drown means literally to sink. They're sink in the Red Sea. And interesting enough, that word red there is an Egyptian word sof, which translates to reed. So you better understand as the reed sea. Remember, um, Moses was set in the basket by the reeds and the flags. Same word. So that's what they describe um, the Red Sea. What we know as the Red Sea, was it was the, the reed sea. Same word, free anecdote. Jonah, when he had the weeds wrapped around his head in Bailey the Whale, same word. So whether it's reed or seaweed, um, that's the idea of the, the waters plant there, the reed sea. All right? So the chariots and his host are chunked in. His so chosen, chosen captains are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered him, and that depths is the, the abyss. All right? This is not just, you know, folks who want to be skeptics about the Bible. Oh, this is just like a thin little puddle of a lake, and they just happened to it. No, no, no. They sank down deep. And they were drowned, and they were completely covered. The depths have covered them. That's to completely cover. Um, and the abyss, the depths, that's the surging mass of water. All right? The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom. They sank into the bottom as a stone. It's not unto the bottom. That was into the bottom. You think about the force of this driving them down, boo, like a pile driver into that sand and mud or whatever at the bottom. Right? They were there. Right. Some of them made it to the seashore, but that was, it was a really rough experience for a minute. So they sank into the bottom as a stone. Verse 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Now, does God's glory and power change? No. So this is saying that God, who has glory and power, is now demonstrating it. Right? Thy right hand, and your right hand is a symbol for strength. Your more dexterous arm, that's, that's the imagery of the... The strength of the Lord has become glorious in power. Not that it has changed, but he's demonstrated. He's putting it on show. I mean, like the uh, the bodybuilders, right? They got their muscles, but then they flex. And you're like, oh, he has all these muscles, right? It's that idea of God is showing uh, by flexing off his strength and his power by doing these great wonders. So this is verse 6. The right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. All right, this, this imagery... Remember, uh, he who's going to rule with a rod of iron and break his enemies um, like they're potter's clay, right? That idea. This is the Lord. I've got an iron rod. All my enemies are just clay pots. Who's going to win a million times out of a million? Right? It wasn't even hard. Right? 
There was no effort on God's part to, to dash in pieces the enemies. All right, so he's ruling with a rod of iron. Again, this is similar Im imagery that would later be expanded to, to point to Christ. Verse 7, In the greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them. Overthrow means to pull down. You've overthrown them that have rose, rose up against thee. This nation, these people who said, we're not going to obey you, we're going to do it our way, you can't have it your way. He says, I am going to pull you down. Does God have the ability to humble anybody and everybody? Yep. You better believe it. You want to see it? Raise your, yourself against him. <laughs> and he'll humble you. If he loves you, he'll humble you in a chastening way. Um, but he is more than capable in demonstrating his excellency, his majesty, by overthrowing those who rise up against him. Thou sentest forth thy wrath. That word wrath is burning anger. That imagery of a consuming fire. He sent forth his wrath, which consumed them as stubble. You ever get some dry hay and chunk it in the fire? How long does it last? Just a second, right? It just consumes it almost immediately. That's the idea of against God's wrath, nothing can stand. It's like this dry stubble, right? Thou hast consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, thy waters were gathered up together. This is, again, literary imagery. It's not referring to God's actual uh, nose. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. Um, God the Father. But the blast of his nostrils, that blast, that word means um, a violent exhalation. Right? You ever get angry? <laughs> That's what the word ire means. To exhale in a strong way to demonstrate your anger. Right? So that's what's encompassed here with this word blast, is that through his anger, he blew that water, and they were gathered together, and the flood stood upright. It's like the flood stood at attention. When the Lord speaks, they stand up at attention. As long as he said to hold it, they're going to hold it. As a heap, it says the depth were congealed in the heart of the sea. What's that mean? So if there's no water here, the waters have to go somewhere. So it used to be deep. Now it's a lot deeper. The, the congealing is the thickening of it. So you have parts where there's no water. You've got to have to put that somewhere. And so you've got this much greater depth. At the, at the center of the sea, right? It's where they're crossing over. The heart of the sea is described at. They're crossing over. This ain't just the border shore here. They're going across the Reed Sea. And the winds uh, blow the floods up on a heap. And the depths around, they, they, they congeal. They get even thicker and taller than they were before. Now what's the enemy thinking? The enemy says, I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to overtake them. I'm going to get the spoil. Because they got all our stuff, right? I neglected to mention that. That before they were leaving, they said, hey, can we borrow your silver and the gold? And the Egyptians like, please take it. Right? I can't eat this. I need you gone. We're going to die. Right? And the Egyptians say, we're going to get our stuff back. Right? I'm going to overtake them. I'm going to divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. I'm going to get some vengeance. Right? We've had a really, really bad time because of them. And I'm going to take out my pound of flesh. So that was what their motivation is, and that's what they're thinking, is they're chasing them down with their, their, their chariots. But what did the Lord do? Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them. So even as they're going through, before they had the, you know, the impulse to turn around, they're still thinking they're going to win. Um, and the Lord blew with his wind, and the sea came tumbling down. Right? It says they sank as lead in the mighty waters. All right? Uh, lead, it's nearly double the density of iron. You know, there's a mem you remember the guy who lost a guy's uh, axe head, iron axe head? Lord, it's barred. The Lord made it float. All right, this is something twice as dense as that. All right, that's a, it was just, whoop, 
what did we put on fishing rods or fishing at the end to make the weights made out of lead? Yeah. Very dense, all right? That's right. He said at ease in the, the ranks. Yeah, walls. I got you. So they sank as lead in the mighty waters. And there's a question. Who's like unto thee, O Lord? Remember one of those promises that God made to Pharaoh? That he would know that the Lord is unique. That there is none like him. And so they're asking, who is like unto you? Who, who can be compared among all the gods? Lowercase g, lowercase g the, the, the deities, right? The false gods, the idols. Who is like thee? glorious in holiness. Isn't that interesting? That's the first description. He's got such a great glory in His holiness. Our God is holy. In heavens they sing that He is a holy, holy, holy God. Right? A holy God. Fearful in praises. The word praises could be translated to laudation, and that's a fun word, but you use it more often than not. Have you ever applauded? That's to laud, to praise. You're, you're noting that which is worthy of praise. His praises, what he's worthy of, is more than you and I could ever give him. All right? Fearful in praises. It's so, he's worthy of so much praise, is fearful. All right? That's the magnitude that we're talking about. Fearful in praises and doing wonders. Has he done a ton of wonders over this period of time? Absolutely. Doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed him. This imagery of stretching out the right hand... There's, there's an expression, the Lord's arm is not shortened. All right, y'all ever been to Walmart and they got that shelf up there that's about 10 feet tall and you can't reach it? Please ask her associates to get help, right? There's nothing that the Lord can't reach, right? His arm is not so short that there's nothing that he can accomplish. You and I, our arms are pretty diminutive, right? But his arm's not short. So in this, he stretched out his right hand. He did that which was hard or impossible for us and he accomplished it and the earth swallowed them up. He used that waters to swallow that army completely. Thou in thy mercy, and that mercy, kindness, it, that mercy is kindness, all right, and your loving kindness, um, I lost my spot there. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Did he promise he was going to redeem them? Yeah, you're going to be my people. I'll be your God, and I'm going to redeem you out of that land, and I've led you forth. That led means to to guide. And literally, he had a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of a cloud by the day. This is your God. This is the way you're going. All right? He led them forth in his mercy. Right? Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength and thy security forces. Right? You've guided them unto thy holy habitation. All right? You're bringing them to the spot that you want them to be. All right? And those people over there where you're taking them to them, they're going to hear. And they're going to know, right? That was another one of his promises, that all the world would hear of what he'd done. And that the Lord's name would be proclaimed, and it's going to be fulfilled. Um, the people shall hear, and this is the ones in the land of Canaan where they're going to. They shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. That's another name for the Philistine regions, right? Goliath, all those folks, right? That's on the east coast, modern-day Gaza. Um, they're going to hear about it. The Dukes of Edom, that's the land of the south, that's uh, you know, Esau's descendants. The Dukes of, Edosh, Ed, of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, that's where Balaam was from. He's on the uh, east side. He's the one who tried, um, Balak, who hired Balaam to try and curse them as they came through. Moab, that's a descendant from Lot. Trembled and shall take hold of them all. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Melt away. 
fear and dread shall fall upon them. All right, you remember when they finally get in there, you know, 40 something years later, and Joshua's leading them in, they get to Jericho, and the spies go and talk to um, the prostitute. What was her name? Rahab. Thank you. Rahab, what did she say? She said, We heard what the Lord did and how he opened the Red Sea for you, and our hearts did melt within us, and there was no courage remaining, right? That had been 40 years ago since then, right? They hadn't forgotten. If anything, they probably had 40 years of dread of, when are they going to get here? And the Lord said they were coming here, and we've heard about that. He's heard what he did to that country. Egypt's still a mess, probably 40 years later from that. You don't hear much about Egypt's military might for a while, right, in in scriptural history. Um, And so now you're finally coming. We've heard, and we know. And so, yeah, when this is fresh taking place, I imagine, yeah, that fear and dread and trembling and shaking, that's, oh, no, we're going to die, right? That's the idea. The Lord is, is going to send them forth because he was going to have his people go in and occupy that land. All right? Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over. Now, they've already passed over the Red Sea. What passing over are they talking about here? Jordan, right? Jordan is the natural barrier into Canaan. And it's saying that all those people... That really, tactically, if you want to deal with an invading force, go out and meet them, right? While they don't have any you know, real supplies or refugees, they've been wandering a while. But he's saying, no, the Lord's going to protect them so that all your enemies are going to sit there in fear and wait on you until you come to whoop them, right? And none of the Canaanites uh, came out to fight them. And I think the only battle they really had um, was Amalek. And the Lord later had them be completely destroyed um, at Saul's hand. Right? That was when Moses was having to lift the rod up. As long as it was up, they were winning the fight. Okay? O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Their concept of redeemed. God has bought these people. He has paid for them. He is bringing them out. And thou shalt bring them in. And plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. In the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And in this you have the allusion to the Lord is going to designate eventually Jerusalem to be the spot. Before that, it was the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then later it would be Shiloh for a period of time, but then it was Jerusalem. That was where his temple was going to be built, and that's where he says, I'm going to dwell with you. Not that all of him could be contained there, but that was where his presence will be set down. And all of that is pointing to the good land that he's going to bring us to, and what makes it so good is that God dwells there and God dwells with his people there. There's no need for a temple um, then. There's no need for um, anything else other than him there in heaven. That's what that's all um, pointing to at the end. And so you've got this idea here of they're singing of this mighty, mighty deliverance. They've just watched it. All right? And here's the sad part is this, as you go forward, they're going to forget all this. When they're going to come to the edge of the land, they're going to look and say, oh, those people are too tall. We can't fight them. Right? They just experience these wonders, but us in our fickleness right, and our fleeting memories can often be discouraged. So part, what's part of the reason we come here every Sunday? To be reminded. <laughs> so we quit, quit forgetting. Our, our rememberer doesn't work as well as our forgetter. Right? Um, to be reminded of who God is, what he's, what he's done, He's the same God of old, right? And what he's promised to do is he promised to bring all of his people out of this world and into a better world when he returns. And this world will be folded up like a garment 
and put away, right? It's going to be melted. There will be nothing left of it. You'll just have the new heavens and the new earth. And in there, all of his people. And it's not a small number, right? We saw in Revelation 1, 7, about it was an, a man in which no man, a number in which no man could count. That's a big old number, right? And the angels are describing you know, thousands of thousands or ten thousands of ten thousands. I mean, it's, it's a myriad. It's a massive number. So we're not talking about a small group that God has chosen for himself, that he redeemed by his son, and they're going to be with him. Are the last days going to be hard? Yeah! That's the pattern. This was kind of like the, the intro, right? The grand finale is going to be big because it's not just going to be one little nation affected. It's going to be him wrapping up and demonstrating in the most glorious way his might on a global scale. Is it going to be bad? Yeah! Is his victory going to be cheated? Is there any way that what he's purchased he'll lose? Is there any way that you cannot be kept by his hand? No, you are guarded as one who loves the Lord. That's because he loved you first. So if you love him, you can know he loves you and he is guarding you with his security force. All right? Could you physically die? Sure. Is that the worst thing? No. Because when you're dead in this world, you're immediately present with the Lord. And things are infinitely better off. Does he have to let you die? No, he could let you live through it. That's okay. We could have hard times, trials and tribulations, and trials for our faith, they can be good for our faith. They can strengthen us. They can allow us to see God's deliverance through each one. They can see his strength when I'm really weak. And my problem is when I think that I'm strong. And that's when I've got my wrong head on and I've got to have you know, a humbling coming. But he's got the strength to carry me through, whether it's to live and I get to live for Christ. That means I'm going to serve him and do the best I can to worship and praise him throughout it or whether I'm permitted to die. Either way, he wins, right? And he's promised that inheritance that we'll be with him, right? And so will there be a mirror um, at this at the, at the end? I think so. I think there is enough overlap and we may get to that one day where we look at the plagues and see how they expand out on this global scale because these, these kind of look piddling in comparison to what's re recorded. Um, but the result is still the same. At the end, God has a perfect record. 100% success in delivering his people and 100% destruction of destroying those that hate him. And in both, he gets the glory. God of mercy and a God of wrath. And ultimately, those are both assets of the same thing, of his holiness. Right? He is holy and therefore sin deserves the wages that it receives. Right? Sin, for the wages of sin is death. Right? That's what we all deserve. And the only reason we're not going to receive it is because Christ already bore that on our behalf. He paid that price in full, not a mitigation. Not a, he didn't get a family discount, right? Sometimes we try to be, be good to folks. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll knock off 25% because you're, you're kin, right? No, there was no discounting of the wrath that God poured out upon his son for our sins. It was the full, unadulterated, unfiltered, maximum strength possible that he bore for us. And so that's why God is still holy, is that he is bearing out his wrath on those for whom the son did not die, and he is showing that mercy by acknowledging the success of his son in the salvation of them in the cross at Calvary. So I thank y'all for your time and attention.